Well, it is a privilege today as we start our new series called Fuller House. Will you say that to somebody next to you? Say Fuller House. Come on, you can do better than that. Say Fuller House. There you go. And uh, today, uh, we're going to have Sexy Mama beside me helping me bring the word. Just saying. Just saying. Boudreaux and Marie were having their first fight, yeah? And it was a big one. After a while, Boudreaux said, I don't know what that is, but somebody's microphone is on. That was hilarious. It says, and Boudreaux said, uh, uh, after a while, Boudreaux said, when we got married, you promised to love, honor, and obey. Marie replied, I know, but I didn't want to start an argument in front of all them people at the wedding. (laughs) We're talking uh, today about being deliberately married. That's our little portion for the next four weeks. We're going to be strengthening our marriages and our families. And uh, by the time we end the month of April, you're going to be stronger than you've ever been. You're going to, be, uh, you're going to have uh, a beautiful direction and know where you're going. And God's going to increase us. And we're going to have the best families and the best, best marriages in the entire Metroplex and in the United States of America. This Amen. It's going to be so fun. You're going to hear from four different couples. And the fun part about that is that you can take a little bit from everybody that you get to hear from. And so, and we're, not only are we going to do Saturday morning, but you, I mean this morning, but you'll also have follow-ups of great seminars on Saturday mornings as well. And so both of those together are just going to be a wealth of information. There's no way we can teach you everything we want to teach you to strengthen your marriage in a 40-minute segment on a Sunday morning. So every Saturday, starting this Saturday, Jamie and I will meet you here, and uh, it's free. It's just open, and you need to invest in your marriage. You need, if you're single, you need to invest in your marriage, and uh, we're going to come up here, and we're going to do another hour and a half of teaching on strengthening your marriage from 9 to 1130, and uh, every Saturday for the next four Saturdays thereafter, and you're going to get stronger and better. Let's jump into the Word. Give them the scripture. This is actually one of my favorite scriptures. I love getting to share this scripture, and I, I share it every time we do personality trainings and different things like that, but it's found in Proverbs chapter 24 in verses three through four. And it says this through wisdom, a house is built and by understanding it is established by knowledge. The rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Uh, Other versions say with rare and beautiful treasures that caught my eye. Any scripture that's going to help me fill my house with rare and beautiful treasures. (laughs) I'm all about it. Let's look at how the message lines it out. It says it takes wisdom to build a house. Somebody ought to say amen. It takes wisdom to build. And it's talking about our marriages and our families. It's not just talking about a practical building. It's talking about something much deeper than that. And it's referring to our families and our marriages. It says an understanding to set it on a firm foundation. I want you to build your marriages so strong and your family so strong that nothing can shake them. Come on, somebody. With 50% of marriages still ending in divorce, we're not going to have that in Church on the Hill. We're going to get in there. We're going to build. We're going to work. And we're going to see it through to fruition. Verse 4 says, And it takes knowledge to furnish its rooms with fine furniture and beautiful draperies. I don't really care about the draperies, but I want some expensive stuff up in my spiritual, his house. And so as we jump into this, this passage is really talking about how you and I have to take responsibility, have to dive in and literally build our marriages. They don't, you don't fall into love and somehow it all becomes magical and we just have this amazing relationship. No, no, no. That's why the Bible refers this whole process to building a house. 
And uh, Jamie and I have been watching this house that's being built. Tell them a little. Uh, one of the streets that we drive carpooling back and forth every day, we go past this street. So for the past year, somebody's been building a house on a lot that was really steep. And I, honestly, I didn't know they would build a house on it. So, But they first they brought in an excavator, and he brought these big boulders out. And Yeah, they the, were literally jackhammering jack them out. And, and they, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to roll on my car. Gonna kill me, praise the Lord. And he brought in someone that knew how to level the foundation. And then he had contractors come and we're watching this house go up piece by piece, very deliberately, very specifically, as he brings in experts to help him. It didn't happen by happenstance. He didn't throw a bunch of lumber up on this lot and this beautiful home popped up. But he's he's it's taking a process and it's very intentional as he does it. Yeah, and so we want to refer that, as this scripture does, to your marriage. You say, well, I'm single. Exactly. You're single, and you need to know how to build a house. You need to know how to build a marriage and sustain that building. And just because you get it built doesn't mean that it's finished. Anybody who owns a home knows that just when you, once you get it built or once you get it moved in, then you got to sustain that sucker. And all of a sudden, one day you come home, and there's water coming out the, out the ceiling because, you know, a pipe has burst. Or you, all of a sudden, you know, you got black mold over here. You've got this problem over here, and you've got to continue to work on it, build it, remodel it, fix it. Come on, are you with me? Say yes. And that takes, everybody say the word, work. work. Say it with me. It takes what? Work. And you've got to work at it, and you've got to fight for it. And all of us, no one goes into marriage, no one's single here going, I can't wait to the day that I get married. I'm going to look beautiful in my dress, and then two years later, I'm going to go through a nasty divorce. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait for my life to look like that. Nobody plans that. Nobody wants that. But the problem is we don't plan to actually build something of significance. We think it's going to happen by, by happenstance. And it's not. And so you've got to build it. And so what would you want in your house? What would you want your marriage to look like at the end of it all? I thought it would be nice. Are we ready in the back there? I thought it would be really cool to go over to our kids' ministry. So we're going to face, FaceTime in some of the kids and ask them, you know, what, what would it look like? the house that you would build and see, t- let them tell us all the great little things that they would do in building the house. Can you guys hear me back there? I don't know if they can. There we go. Good expansion. They're walking through the hallways. We're all about to throw up. That's awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. Captain Jack, can you see us? We see your booty. Captain Jack. Hey. 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 That's awesome. Did you, are you guys, are there some kids ready to tell us about what they would put in their house? Yeah. Yeah, this morning we had some of our tigers, our four to five-year-olds, draw their dream home. We asked them to, to draw with colors like the most beautiful, grandeur home that they could imagine and to put anything and everything inside of it that they wanted. And so I've got a couple of our tigers right here. Yeah, you got them lined up and along the wall like you're about to shoot them. Some of our tigers came up with. This is Sophia. Say hi, Sophia. Hi, Sophia. Hi, Mom. So beautiful. Sophia, do you want to show them what you drew? Can you tell me what's in your house? What's in your house? Yep. Yeah, that's right. Your parents will live with you forever. That is going to happen. So you got a big pink castle, and these are all the people that you've invited to your home. And a pink sky. A, a pink what? I know your mom and dad are going to be happy to have all these grandchildren. I'll tell you that right That's now. That's awesome. That's a lot That's of babies. awesome. Thank you, Sophia. So beautiful. Wesley, Wesley. Say hi, mom and dad. Hi, mom and dad. 
Hey, Wesley, can you show us what's in your house, big guy? What, what's this? What's that right there? An Adamus Rex? I saw, I saw it, so I said, I had too many bugs. That's so cool. What, what is that? What's that right there in your house? And last time, two, three, four guys with the, uh, three guys with the Dominus Rex kites. And yeah? Yes, I footprints and science squats up from the Dominus Rex. I need a translator. And, uh, that is amazing. And you got aliens in here and a fireball? And, and, you got fireballs the, in your house? When the girls saw the Dominus Rex going after them, He's got T-Source Rex, is that what he <laughs> That got? is amazing. Hey, hold on to your picture. Let me go catch Aiden over here, okay, big guy? Oh, right, look Mr. at that. Aiden, let's turn it upside down. Let's turn it right side up. This is Aiden. Say hi, Mom and Dad. Hi, Mom and Dad. Awesome. Aiden, tell me what's in your picture. What do you have here? Speak real loud for me. George Washington. Tell them, tell them Mom and Dad. What, what's in your house? George Washington. George Washington? <laughs> George Washington. <laughs> What, what, what's this over here? That dude gonna raise the dead. That's his eagle? Oh man, and what's over here? What, is that someone coming in the house? That's the Texas flag. Oh, that's the Texas flag coming yeah. in the house. Wow. <laughs> you are most patriotic tiger. I love you so much. Somebody give that kid a tie. Oh, Levi, what's up, big guy? Tell mom and dad hi. 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 All right, Levi, what do we have in your house? What's this right here? What's that? A ship. A ship? Oh, wow. What's that right there? A scream. Okay. And, and, and what's this over here? Who's that? Did he say a spleen? That's a boy. A pink boy with a big fist. I love oh, it. Oh, he's going to have fish in his house. Awesome. Awesome. Levi, thank you so much. Hey, Pastor Rada, we got some beautiful homes being built back here. <laughs> good job. Oh, Give them a hand. They did so good. That was awesome. <laughs> And so, you know, obviously these kids sat down with crayons and they dreamed up what they wanted in their house. What do you want in your house? Do you want angry? Do you want spitting and fighting and cussing? Do you want to walk in and sleep in a different place than you originally had attended? See, if you don't deliberately plan for your marriage and what it's going to look like, then you'll end up with the things that you never thought were going to be in there. And so today, as we dive in, Jamie and I want to help you build deliberately. We want to give you just some thoughts on what you need to go about doing to get to the dream house or the dream marriage or the dream family that you thought you would have when you were this age. Amen. Isn't that good? Say yes. So let's start with the first part of building a deliberate marriage. Number one, you ought to take notes. This will help you. Number one, you need to take responsibility. Write it down. Take responsibility. Jamie and I, um, you know, we oversee pastors. We've got about 15, 16 churches that we oversee, and we have ministers that we counsel and, uh, and work a lot with pastors and leaders with counseling for their marriages and things like that. And uh, I can't tell you how frustrated I am with many of the leaders of today that the moment they get in a problem, it's somebody else's fault, not theirs. They won't take responsibility. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3. We see this is the original situation that happened in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, Adam and Eve have now taken in disobedience. They've eaten of the fruit of the tree in total disobedience to the Lord. In that moment, they recognize that they're naked. They realize that they have sinned, and they go run and hide. Come on, little kids. They go run and hide, and they try to clothe themselves with whatever foliage they can find. And all of a sudden, Father comes walking through. Adam, Eve! Adam, Eve. Like he can't find them, like God doesn't know where they're at. 
And all of a sudden, they finally step out. <laughs> and he says, where, where, what are you doing? Well, we've been hiding from you. Why are you hiding? Because we were naked. And then let's pick up in verse 11. And he said, God, that is, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Adam, who told you you were naked? Have you done what I told you not to do? Adam, have you done what I told you not to do? And look at his response. Look at the man of God's response. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now you've got to catch this. Adam didn't just blame Eve, he blamed God. What you did this to me because you gave me her. I was minding my own business. I was living the dream in the garden. It was awesome. Uh, you know, I'm running around. I don't even know I'm naked. I'm riding giraffes, and I'm petting rhinoceroses, and I'm wrestling alligators. And then one morning I wake up, and I've got a pain in my side, and there she is. You did this. And then he doesn't just blame God. Then he says, and then she, the thing that you gave me, caused me to sin. I was minding my own business. And you know how them women can be wily, Jesus. You know. And she began to put her little charm on me. Before you know it, I hate of it. But it's your fault and it's her fault. It can't be my fault. I can't tell you how many times with great leaders, people you've seen on television preaching the word of God, how many times I've sat with them and they blame God for putting me in this situation. And then they blame their spouse for causing their response. I just responded to what she did. I just responded to what he did. And they never take responsibility. You cannot build a house until you walk in and say, I'm responsible for this leak and I'm going to find it fixed. So well, I didn't do it. The contractor didn't fix it right. It don't matter. It's on my shift. It's in my time. I'm here. It's here. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. And what we see is a constant shifting and Adam and Eve do this. And then God goes to Eve and he says, what do you got to say? And she says, oh, it was the serpent. Ah, was a good woman. But God, I don't know what happened up in heaven where you cast Satan out, but he came down up in her. And all of a sudden, all, all I know is a snake is talking to me. I was minding my own business. And he was so, obviously, you couldn't even deal with him. You kicked him out of heaven. And then you threw him on my problem. And now his, your problem became my problem. And I can't help that I did what I did because your problem became my problem, Jesus. I can't tell you how many times Jamie and I have sat there like, are you serious? Well, until you take responsibility, ain't nothing can happen here. And so what does God do? God says, okay, you got it. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick you out of this place of paradise. Listen to this. Write this statement down. Adam and Eve's irresponsibility forfeited paradise. Adam and Eve's irresponsibility caused them to forfeit paradise. Are you tracking with me? Can you imagine if I told you you're going to get to live forever, ever down in, Can in Hawaii? I feel called to Hawaii right now. I feel the Lord speaking, right? To be a minister there. Can you imagine you live in paradise and because you're irresponsible, because you cannot obey. Don't, you can do anything you want. Don't touch that tree. Your irresponsibility causes you 
to lose the very beautiful plan that God had. And I can't tell you, marriage after marriage that I've watched be destroyed because someone was irresponsible in that marriage. They would not take responsibility to build it, to work on it, to fix it, to clean it. They would not take responsibility. It's her fault. It's that one's fault. It's this one's fault. And because they wouldn't take responsibility, paradise was lost. And if you keep reading down through there, what God does is say, not only are you losing paradise, but let me just tell you something. You think it was hard before? Now, sweetheart, you're going to be in pain to bear children. And not only that, guess what else I'm going to make you do? I'm going to make you submit to idiot face here. Go back and read it. And so he's going to be your head. Can you imagine? She probably went, oh, snap. Oh, my goodness. He's standing there. (laughs) I'm the boss. (laughs) And he said, oh, you think that's up? You're going to provide for her. But it ain't going to come easy. Let me tell you something. You think you had responsibility before? You ain't had nothing. I fed you. I took care of you. You didn't want for anything. Because you want to be irresponsible, I'm going to give you more responsibility. You think, bro, that you don't like her? Divorce her and see what happens. Now you got the other woman you're going with and her, her five kids from her first seven marriages. You got your kids from over here. Oh, my God. And you got to also pay this child support. You don't understand what your irresponsibility is going to cause for you down the road. Take responsibility. Here, man, I'm preaching myself strong here. My God, Jamie, you better take over because I'm fired up. And I, I think even as we were just preparing together and talking together, the magnitude of this moment and of this thought and this concept in across the board in all of your life, you literally can change the trajectory of your life right yeah. now by grasping this point that all the energy and all the effort we all take spending all of our time saying why someone else is making our world bad. Right. We are so good at it. We are so good at dissecting the problem at analyzing them and at, you know, and psychoanalyzing and figuring out all the reasons why this person is making us unhappy. If we just shifted that attention to say, I have a part to play in my happiness in this situation. Joy is mine to give away. Incredible book. If you haven't read it, write it down. It's called The DNA of Relationships by Gary Smalley. Changed our life. Absolutely phenomenal. And one of the things he said is you are not a victim to someone else's decisions. Your happiness, your joy, your peace is you give it away. When you get in that tussle with that person and they take you and they make you crazy in your mind, you gave it to them. No, 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 you don't understand. But you don't understand what they do. No, you gave it to them. And if you can, we can just grasp that. Yeah. That we have a part to play. That we got ourselves in this situation. That we, we, are, we are contributors to the situation. We then to begin to say, even if it's, okay, okay, I'll admit I did, I did that. Okay. And let that absorb in and, 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 um, and process through that. Then the Lord can begin to say, I want to work on you. Let's not worry about them right now. Even Peter, what about them? Lord, what about that disciple? I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about you. I came here. I sat around this fire. I I cooked fish. I want to talk about you. And we're so quick to want to talk to the Lord about somebody else. But he wants to talk to us about us. And the minute we can get in that mindset, our whole world ever so slightly begins to shift. So number one, take responsibility. Number two. Yes, my iPad turned off. Number two is a shared purpose. Have a shared purpose. You know, we, uh, I was doing this incredible research, and if you've heard us speak before, we really, really, really believe that one of the keys, the main keys to living deliberately and having a deliberate marriage is a shared 
purpose together. What do we mean by that? It means that we have a cause that together we fight for, not together we fight, <laughs> but together we fight for, and that we believe in. Sometimes you see couples that that cause is their children that kept them together. Other couples never have children, but they have a cause that they believe is greater than themselves. And that cause is what ties them and tethers them together. Ecclesiastes chapter four and verse nine says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. This is New Living. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer Three are even better for a triple-branded cord is not easily broken. Not even having a cause, but the cause of Christ. Yeah. Understanding that not only did the Lord say he picked you and he chose you, or that he knows the plans he has for you, but he knows the plans he has for you, plural. He picked you plural and chose you plural, that together he's ordained a destiny to make a difference in this world. When you get that, as Zig Ziglar says, mountains become pebbles on the beach. All of a sudden, they don't really matter. Because you have a purpose. You have a trajectory. You're going after. When Jamie and I first started going out, the reason why I knew she was the one, because she wanted to do something great for God just like I did. And, uh, and, and so it became our shared purpose. Let's do something great for God. She wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to be a youth minister because I wanted to change the young adults of the world. And so we kind of brought that together. So let's change young adults around the world. And God started using us. And it was, we, we, it, people would ask us all the time. We do these marriage conferences and we do this, uh, you know, counseling things with, 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 with these, in these big environments. They would say, how do you separate, separate out ministry and your family time? And I, we would tell them, you, you're asking the wrong question. You don't separate out. Ministry is what we are. We're, we're heading towards something. And so how do we protect ourselves from being burnt out? Well, let, let me give you the five or six ways. But we don't separate out. This is God's time. And then this is, this is the people's time. And then this is our time. That is birth out of selfish ambition. And so what you want to do is, is simply say what we taught them was this. Hey, look, go after something together. And life has such fulfillment. Our kids are in that ministry mindset as well with us. And we're just loving people the best we know how. And we don't say, oh, I'm sorry. You've now stepped into our our, our personal time. I'm sorry, you can't da-da-da. What we've said is, hey, listen, right now we need some time for this so it'll strengthen us to be able to minister to you. And we tweak the understanding so that it doesn't become us versus them. And I've got a close friend and his wife decided, I don't want to be in ministry. I want to be a career person. And they've been pastoring. And now she's gone over and done that. He's done that. And guess what happens when you don't have a shared purpose? Guess what happens? You start going in two different directions. It's just a matter of time before you've destroyed your marriage and you've destroyed your family. So keep going on that piece. I read an amazing study. A woman did a study of arranged marriages in current day life. And these are people that may have casually met the person. Some people had never met their spouse, literally not an email, a phone call or anything to their wedding day. Can you imagine that? Forget this is no attraction is out the window. Mutual interest is out the window. A spouse has been chosen for them. And yet these people, as she did research, she found couples that were happy they were, they were satisfied. They had healthy sex lives. They had a full life that they enjoyed.
annoyed with a person that they had never met until the day of their marriage. And she wanted to know why. And she began to do research and interview after interview. And she found two key components. The first one was they focused on the positive. They focused on what mattered, what was good about the spouse Mm. and good about their situation. The second thing she found that the successful couples had was a shared purpose. Wow, they didn't even know each other. They didn't even know each other. But if they would find something that they both shared as a passion and begin to focus on that, that they begin to get stronger and stronger and more and more bonded. And sometimes that was just, we're going to focus on raising great kids and establishing a great family. But beyond that was focusing on the fact that we believe that we're together for something greater than ourselves. So, you know, when you go to go somewhere, what's the first thing your GPS asks you to do? What's the end goal? Where's the destination? So many people go into marriage, they have no idea where we're going. They don't have a purpose. They're not trying to get somewhere. And I would highly encourage you, based on Miss Jamie's point here today, is you've got to find that shared purpose and start moving in that direction. It's good. So let's move to point number three. Point number three is learn to love God's way. You're going to find me get very passionate over the next three, four minutes. And the reason why is because this has been my frustration as I've ministered to leaders around the world. As they, they say they love their spouse, but truth of the matter is they must love them in some type of worldly way because this is how God identifies love. And this is what seems to be missing many times when I see these great conflicts in marriages and in, in family units and even within the church. So let's study what God says love is. And we'll start in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So listen, so all these guys you see on TV, and they can move in the gifts and the power of God, heal the sick and raise the dead, but they can't keep their marriages together because they can't, they don't have love. It says they have nothing. That's the scriptures. That's great, bro, that you just told that mountain to move and run into the sea, but you don't have a lick of love inside of you, and so therefore you have nothing. That's his scriptures, not mine. And continue on. But verse 3, if I possess all that I have, excuse me, I give all that I have to the poor and surrender my body to the flames. Man, I just just don't want to be caught up in all this worldly stuff. I'm going to give everything to the poor. But yet I have not love. I gain nothing. It was worthless to go do that. And then verse 4, because love is patient. Bro, it gives her time to develop instead of trying to get her to act like your mama and you've been married six months. It's patient. Love is kind. It's kind. Love doesn't, doesn't show its butt in front of the kids. Love is kind. Love doesn't get them back when they're not looking. Just prove your point to them in front of everybody or when no one's around. Love is kind. It does not envy. Listen, you single people, you need to learn what love is now. You're like, God, send me a man, send me a woman. God, send me somebody, send me somebody, send me. He's like, wait, wait, wait. Won't you learn how to love so that I can send you someone that you can use what you've learned to actually benefit something wonderful can be built from love? You don't know how to love yet. If you envy the fact that the person in your office just got promoted and you can't stand them and you're sitting around talking bad about them around the water, you don't love yet. You need to learn to love because love doesn't envy. Wait till you get in a marriage and all of a sudden she becomes the she next, you know, She's the city councilwoman McCain, and you're walking in rooms, and they're going, now, I'm sorry, who are you? I'm like, Pastor Adam McCain. Oh, you're Jamie's husband. Like, well, I'm Adam McCain. I'm Jamie's husband. She's my wife. And literally, to be able to be at a place is like, yes, my wife is being promoted. Yes. There's no envy there. There was early in our marriage, I'm sure. 
but the Lord has taught me to love. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. You know how I know you're proud? Because you won't say, I'm sorry. That's pride. The Bible says he resists the proud. But he gives grace. If Adam and Eve would have come running the moment they ate and went, oh, and they, Daddy, we, did, we rebelled against you. We were so stupid. God, please forgive us. You know what he'd have done? He kicked him in the face. Get out of here. Is that what he'd have done? No, not at all. He didn't embrace him. Come here, baby. Come here. We might all still be living in paradise. But because of their pride, they went and tried to make it right, tried to fix it with their own. You're so busy trying to fix it that you won't just stop and admit that you even have a problem. You won't just say, hey, look, I blow it. I know I tick you off. I know I'm driving you insane. And I want to tell you, I'm sorry. I don't even know what to do. But I just love you. And I, I am so sorry. It says it has not, it is not proud. It's not rude. Hey, bro, she's not your old lady. She's a beautiful, beautiful daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Stop being rude. Stop, stop being a pervert. Stop being rude. Listen, you single people need to learn this. Jamie and I, uh, when we were youth pastor, we had this traveling guy who was a guest speaker. He was the hottest, coolest, sexiest dude out. He was 25 years old, single, and all the girls wanted to marry him. He came and preached at our big youth group, and we went afterwards, you know, to McDonald's, and all the young people were around. All these girls are sitting there, and all of a sudden, he goes, Bark! <laughs> Just got to be real. I told him, no, you're being rude. You need to leave. That, these are princesses around here. Don't treat them like that. Don't treat, don't, treat, don't treat the lady like that. Open the door, fellas. Come on. Ladies, listen. Listen, you don't have to prove your point. You know you're smarter than him. Just shut up. He knows it too. Okay, don't be rude about it. We know. We know who really is the boss around here. It says, and it says, and uh, it's not self-seeking. Love's not self-seeking. You know, that was one of the greatest revelations I had, that, that it's not about my pleasure. It's about her pleasure. It's not about what I can prove that I'm doing, but how can I serve her and make her great? Because one day I'm going to stand before the Father and I have to present her to Him. That's what the Scripture says. I have to love her as Christ loves His church and present her to Him as a radiant bride like He's going to do with the church. I have to present. I have to say I have built her to the place of magnificence. And I can only do that if I'm not trying to build myself and step on her to get there. If both parties are doing that, then you got something of value. Then you got something you've built that's magnificent. Keep looking. And, and I would just say likewise, ladies, it is a scary position when you've, if you've said, you know what, I really want to make something in my life. I really want to be something. I have these goals in my life. And then when marriage comes along, many times the Lord says, okay, I need you to submit those. I need you to set those up under the goals of the common, the goals of the family. That's a, mo- that's a scary moment. Yeah. But I can tell you with everything I've got in me that when you do that with joy to the Lord and you say, Lord, I believe and I trust you. And, and I may think we're heading in this direction. And then all of a sudden, think, I'm tethered to this guy. So if things head in this direction, Lord, I have to trust and I believe with all my heart that that is the direction that you have us to go in. I just didn't know it. And I've seen it. I'm only in, we're in this city today because I followed him to where we went. I didn't say, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave my home and I don't want to leave where I am. But then the Lord blesses and things happen. There is such a beauty in trusting and saying, Lord, I trust. What are you, are you doing? Nothing, something funny? Okay, awesome. they're all laughing. So. No, they didn't mean to. It says, <laughs> verse six. It keeps. It's not easily angered. Why do you keep flying off the hill? That's not love. It's not easily angered. It's not easy. It keeps no records of wrong. Well, let me tell you what he did in 1974, and then what he did in 1984. And you got to listen. Like I thought you loved him. I love him. 
but I'm just going to tell you what he did. I got my lips. That's not love. It keeps going, and it says this. It says it keeps no record. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Stop hiding your sin, bro. Be honest with it. Come on, sweetheart. Tell the truth about it. And then it says it always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. I think I made the point. Number four. The, the point number four that we want to make in being deliberately married, what we're talking about, remember, is that life takes a deliberate action and deliberate choices. Those of you that work out, not one of them here, but those that you do, you make choices yes. to do what you do. You get up early. You, you make choices in, for health. It's the same thing with a healthy marriage. We have to make deliberate choices when to keep our mouths shut, when to smile. When, it takes effort, and that's okay because it produces a full house and a strong house. And the number four point is setting boundaries. And I have to admit, when we started studying this, I don't really like that word, boundaries, because I feel like it gets used like a cliche when somebody needs to tell you no and why they can't do something. Or, I'm sorry, we have boundaries, and we just don't know. We're sorry. We don't do that. And, and that really kind of irks me. But, but that's not the point. I'm <laughs> just being real. But it's about setting boundaries and setting rules. In our family, when we're going to play a board game, the first thing we do is get out the rules. because it's, you do. Well, there you go. The four of us, right? Fist pump. And um, because at some point, somebody's going to have a different opinion about the rules, and then the game is going to go crazy because we're all trying to win at any cost. So a rule book is very important. Same thing in life and the same thing with building a deliberate marriage. You have to set boundaries. You have to set rules. You know, God did that with the Ten Commandments, did he not? He's like, you're going to be in a relationship with me? Then you're not going to steal. You're not going to lie. You're going to bear false witness. I'm going to set some boundaries so that you know what I'm like and I can get you to be able to interact with me. He gave us the Ten Commandments. We gave, he gave us the law of what's right and what's wrong. And so what happens many times in marriage is we bring in what our parents did, what so-and-so said back in high school that they did, and we try to bring that into a marriage. But there's no boundaries. A couple of the boundaries that are big for us, number one, is that we do not yell and scream at each other. Our kids have never heard me raise my voice at their mama. They've never heard me tell, tell, tell her that she's stupid or ugly or anything like that. Shame on you if you've done it. You can still repent and make it right, but we don't do that. That's a boundary for us. We don't do it. So, well, you know, it's just how I was raised. Well, you were raised wrong. I love you. I mean, you just raised wrong. You, you, it needs to change. It needs, something new needs to happen in your life. Go ahead. What's the you know, interesting story. Husband and wife had been married for years, happily married for years, and they kept no secrets. They told each other everything except one thing, and that was that the wife had a small box that she kept in her closet, and she asked her husband to never go and open that box. Well, at the end of her life and her twilight years, she was on her deathbed, and she said, you know what, honey? It's okay. You can go and look in the box. And so he went in the closet, and he got the box out, and in the box was one precious little crocheted doll and $95,000. And he said, what is this? She said, well, my dear mama taught me never to argue, but if something bothered me, just simply go and crochet. And he said, honey, I am amazed that after all these years of marriage, you only made it through one doll. She said, oh, no, no, the 95000 is the money I made off all the rest. <laughs> <laughs> but we... 
deliberately set boundaries. That would be wonderful. I don't crochet, unfortunately. But uh, we set boundaries that we won't dishonor each other. We make an effort to hold our tongue. And, and coming from a background of two people that probably would have been in lawyers and been in court law, it is really hard sometimes to say, I am not going to make that point. I am going to go do something else right now. How is that going to build the house? Absolutely. It's not building, it's tearing it down. The other piece that we're real, uh, we have boundaries on is we're never alone with the opposite sex. Ever. Ever. We're never alone. And, and what, what does that do? That gives such confidence to my children. That gives confidence to my spouse. I never, I never counsel a woman by myself. Uh, if there's some person needs counseling and they're female, me and Jamie do it together. Or, or Jamie does it on her own. She's never alone with a, with a man. And that's a big deal. I remember one time, you know, I was in a parking lot, was running Christ for the Nations, and big parking lot, all the cars are gone, and one of the staff flagged, uh, waved me down, Pastor, can I say something? And so we're talking all of a sudden, Texas style, here comes a gully wash, rain. And she's standing there. I was like, jump in the back seat of the car. And, uh, and I called my wife. I said, listen, I got Sherry Smith, who's a friend of mine, in the back seat. It's storming. I'm driving her to her office. Hold on just a second. Okay, Sherry, you can get out now. God bless. Jamie says hi. <laughs> God bless you. And the reason why, because that gives her confidence. Gives her con- That's a boundary for us. Nothing good is going to come from that. Well, I just need to be able to, someone understands me better than your wife, better than your husband. You got the wrong marriage then. You did something wrong somewhere along. Back up. Fall back in love with your spouse. Get back. Love is a choice that you make. I make, she makes choices. You don't think she doesn't make choices to love me every day? To be patient and kind and gentle and not self-seeking? She makes those choices. That's what love is. It's not a feeling or an emotion. You can be Twitter-pated with multiple different people, and that doesn't mean that you're supposed to love them or they're your spouses. I just feel I just feel something towards him. Yeah, it's called sinful attraction. Cut it off and move on. It's real easy. There's I don't know. I just you know, Fifty Shades of Grey stuff. Exactly. That's your mess. You've been getting all that up in here, and now you messed up. You're crazy. That's your problem right there. I'll close out with this thought, and that is this: Number five, on building a deliberate marriage, and that is you need to reevaluate your effort versus your reward. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Uh, Jamie and I, um, years ago, I was traveling extensively. I was running a Bible school, so I had an income paycheck from there, and then I was traveling, and we were, you know, well sought after. And I would, they would buy all our product, and we were making a lot of money. In the midst of that, we bought our dream house. It was a house that was built there in Lake Ridge, here in Cedar Hill. Uh, it was built for $600,000. We bought it. Uh, it had gone through foreclosure. We bought it for $300,000. We put about $50,000 into it. It was a gorgeous. It was 4,100 square feet. Our note on it was uh, was $3,200 a month, and then our electricity on it was $1,000 a month. And that's just that's just those basics right there, much less the water and everything else. And so I was traveling. Man, it was awesome. I would fly in, spend the day with Jamie and the kids, and fly back out, preach somewhere. People were buying all our product. Man, I'm being on Christian television and I'm overseas and thousands are getting saved and we do that for a couple of years and it's awesome. Jamie's half the time she's like, oh, you're back in for a day. God bless you. Okay, you're gone again. We'll see you later. I mean, it was a good season. God was in it. But somewhere in the midst of it, we felt the Lord's hand lift off of it. And we had to stop and evaluate because we now have this house. And I, but I haven't, I haven't made opening baseball uh, games. I haven't been at, I haven't been at, uh, you know, the, uh, little dance recitals or anything like that. And before it was okay, but something shifted, and I needed to stop. 
and we needed to sit down and reevaluate. Is this, what are we doing and why are we doing this? Well, the Lord gave it to me. The Lord's blessing the ministry. Yeah, but now things are starting to shift and I can feel as though I'm missing out on what's going on in the kid's life. I miss you. Yes, they're buying my product and, and they're just, everything I say, they're buying all my CDs and all my books and all that. But you know what? I, uh, but I want you. Stop and reevaluate what's valuable and what's the reward. What am I building in this house? And so what did we do? We sold that big old house and moved into rental property that we had, kicked the people out of it. We moved into this little rental house. And guess what? It's easier and better and wonderful because that's this season. That's this season. And it's beautiful and wonderful. And the reward is that I'm at everything. I'm at, I'm at you know, early morning, uh, you know, uh, kids thing at the school. And I'm sitting in there with all the other dads. <laughs> and no, I don't have the international influence that I used to. But I don't care. Why? Because I reevaluated what's important. Who cares if you're driving a Mercedes but you're losing your marriage? Who cares that you're the most popular lawyer in downtown Dallas but your kids are crackheads? Come on, you, got, you need to reevaluate what's important and reward yourself and your family. Put the reward, the beauty of what's in this house, the treasures are more than that it's a big house or that, it, or that you know, you, you made, you know, uh, employee of the year, but you didn't, your kids hate you and your wife doesn't know you or your husband doesn't know you. Friend, stop, reevaluate your efforts and then versus what's the rewards that you're going to get from it what is the goal what's the purpose in everything we're doing and somewhere along the way it doesn't mean you were wrong adam and eve god gave them this garden god gave them this tree somewhere in the process it shifted and they missed the moment of shifting and i watched people do that and now they've lost their marriage Big worship leaders, just even as of last two weeks, being, being pronounced, yeah, we're done with the marriage, I'm going on with some other girl. And, and we see this over and over again. Why? Because someone stopped building, rebuilding, refurbishing, and they gave up on it, and now that house is in total disrepair and just about needs to be dozed. Are you with me today? Say yes. Stand with me all across the room. You guys have been magnificent. We love you dearly. Jamie and I pray for you every day and ask God's blessings on you. I want you to close your eyes with us for just a moment and bow your heads for just a second. Come stand with me, baby. And as you stand there, I want you to take this word and this message and I want you just to let it sink in your heart for a moment. We want the strongest families this nation has ever seen. It's not going to happen by accident. We're going to have to build. It's going to take some blood, sweat, and tears. We want your marriages to be strong. You say, well, I'm single. Good. I want your marriage to be strong. Say, well, I'm empty nest. Good. I want your kids and your grandkids' marriages to be strong. Let's do this thing. Come on, let's build something. Let's build something that looks like heaven. Who cares what the Cardassians are doing? Let's build what Jesus would do. Let's have longevity of life. Let's be with the same woman, bro, from here on out. Let's be with the same man. Listen, sweetheart, you've already got him this far. It's going to take too much to retrain somebody else. Just stick it out. Come on. We can fix these things. God can help us if we'll just surrender ourselves to these pieces. There's no way, Jamie, and I could give it all to you in 40 minutes today. You need to come back Saturday. You need to invest in your marriage, your pre-marriage. You say, I'm not married yet. Exactly. You need to get here, and you need to learn all you can learn. It says, by knowledge, that house is established. You need to know what you don't know. You need to learn what you didn't learn, and you need to work on what you've never worked on before. So with your head bowed and your eye closed, 
I want you to stand there and ask the Lord, what's my part in this, Jesus? Take responsibility. What's my part in this? So I'm a single young guy. Good. What's your part? What's your part? God's going to give you that mate one day. Are you ready for him? Say, well, I don't think I'll ever be married. You know, that, that was back in the day. I went through that terrible divorce. I'm older. I don't need that. Okay, well, yeah, but I need you to be able to love people who need your help. You need to learn these things now. Start lear- loving your coworkers like Christ loves the church then. Where have you not taken responsibility? Come on, just own it, sweetheart. Come on, bro, own it. Own it. You have a part to play in this whole process of making it great. Say, well, she's not doing her part. No, 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 stop it. You're back in that. Own it. How do we build this house? So I'm doing twice the work. Who cares? It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. Father, I pray right now that every man and woman in this room will get free from the concept, the lie, that it's going to happen some kind of magically without any effort. Lord, I pray that every man and woman in this room would say, all right, I've got to be deliberate in this thing. We're going to build something that's powerful and supernatural, but we're going to have to be deliberate. We've got to have a purpose. Where are we going? What are we doing? We've got, we got, I, 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 we got to take responsibility. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll stop blaming my spouse. I'll stop blaming the Lord. Father, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that men and women in this room would stop and reevaluate that last part. The Spirit of the Lord fell on some of them. I saw it. They've been heading in a direction, doing this thing, doing this thing, and they, they realize, wait a minute. What's the end goal if we keep doing this? We're getting further apart. God, I just thank you right now in Jesus' name. Let wisdom build this house. Let knowledge establish it firm so it can't be taken down. And, oh, God, fill it with treasures. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just speak hope. I just speak hope into situations that feel hopeless. Father, like the old hymn says, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. So in the embers of the soul, Father, that you would just blow with your breath of God, Father. In the places where people say it's hopeless, that you would breathe, breathe on their life, Father. Blow on that ember, Father, ever so small, Father, that it would grow. Lord, let this day look a little brighter when they go outside. Father, I speak that our homes will be a place of gentleness, Father. There'll be places of peace, Lord, places of unity, Father, that there'll be places of kindness. Father, if our children don't see kindness in anywhere else in the world, that when they come into our homes, they will see kindness. They will hear kindness in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Heal, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed and your eye closed for just a moment. If you're away from the Lord, he's not mad at you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be your best friend. I don't even know what that looks like, Pastor. Well, it starts awkwardly and then it builds. It does. Because you start becoming just like the person you spend a lot of time with. You start talking like them, thinking like them. So I, I feel so far away from the Lord. I used to know the Lord, but, but you know, I don't, just life happened. Friend, he's not mad. He longs for you to be back in a relationship with him. They say, well, what do I do? The Bible says just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ the son of the living God. Repent of your sins. Say, Lord, I, I broke this thing. Don't do like Adam did and blame it on everybody else. You, you take responsibility. Lord, I broke it. I broke our relationship, but I want it back. And he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If the Lord's tugging at your heart, you recognize that you're a sinner separated from God. We're all sinners, but yours has separated you from him because you haven't repented. 
this is your moment. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Pastor, you're speaking to me. The Lord's tugging at my heart. I want to repent. I want to be right with him. I want, to, I want you to lead me in a prayer, Pastor. I want to come back into relationship with him. With no one looking around, if that's you, would you quickly, boldly, and courageously throw up your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Pray with me. It's time to be right with him. God bless you. God, yes, sir. Thank you, sir, for your honesty. God bless you, sweetheart. Anybody else? Yeah, God, thank you, sweetheart, for your honesty. I see you back there. God bless you. Anybody else? Hey, Pastor, pray for me. I'll give you about three or four seconds. We're not going to belabor the point. Either you want to be right with the Lord or you don't. Even you're, either you're ready to admit I need help and I need to repent or you don't. Either way, if you're there, then this is your moment to respond. Anyone else will lift their hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to be right with the Lord. God bless you, sweetheart. Two more seconds. Anybody else? One, two. Amen. Put your hands down. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. In fact, I want everyone in the audience to pray this out loud with my friends. It's been about 10 of them who lifted their hand. And we're going to ask Jesus to forgive us and wash us clean. And it's going to happen right here magically. So how is that? Because the Creator knows you already. He's been dealing with you. You didn't come in this church not wanting God. Come on. You didn't get snuckered into it. (laughs) The coffee ain't that good, I promise. And the preaching ain't that good. It was God drawing you to Himself. He's been doing it for weeks, months, and years. And here you are. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you do something powerful right now. Now say this with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I admit I'm a sinner. I own it. I walked away from you. I denied you. But I ask you now, forgive me. I need you in my life. Jesus, I declare in front of everyone, in front of heaven, you are God and you are the Lord and you're the Lord of my life. I submit myself to Jesus. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. And I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Father, bless your people today as they go to lead. Lord, I thank you right now in Jesus' name. We'll have the strongest marriages. Lord, you'll start fixing, tweaking. Lord, we're not going to go home and fix it all. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name. No one says, okay, we're going to do a marathon. We're going to fix it all by tonight. That, Lord God, that everyone have peace. Peace. That we just start, we start growing. We're building this thing. We're building it. It, it. We got some things to work on, but we got, we got a roof. You know, we got, we got some spots that are leaking. We got some things. Or those who say, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not married yet. Oh, but I'm going to go start looking at some blueprints. I'm going to start putting a foundation down. I'm going to start preparing to get ready for this thing. Father, I thank you right now. Let wisdom, wisdom and knowledge win out. And Lord, I thank you at the end of this, we're going to fill the house with so many beautiful treasures. Our grandkids are going to say, oh, you don't know. My granddaddy was the greatest man of God. My grandmama, she taught us things, but I guess they learned it back in that 2016. They started, they said, and things started changing. Father, I thank you right now. Seal it, call it done. And over the next three to four weeks, oh God, begin to shift things for us. May we look more like you by the end of it in Jesus' name. Everybody shouted amen.